mindfulness mode. The root cause is not actually physical. The root cause is really a mental health challenge that's rooted in some sort of emotional trauma. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us again. I think today's today's discussion is going to be absolutely perfect for this time we're in May 2020. And, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to be discussing that I think you should hear. I have a terrific guest with me today. He's he's a holistic health coach. He's a licensed massage therapist. He's just such an expert when it comes to so many aspects of the body and working out and knowing how to manage our body in the best possible way. I have Greg Schmaus with me today. Hey, Greg, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am ready to go. I am in mindfulness mode every day. So at least I at least I strive to be. I do too. That's that's great that you're you're in the mode right now. I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. Greg Schmaus, like I said, is a holistic health coach and a massage therapist. And his work focuses primarily on coaching clients with various physical, mental, and emotional challenges. And with the use of nutrition meditation, mindfulness, exercise, and lifestyle coaching, Greg has been a guide for countless clients on their healing journey. His work actually was inspired by his own healing journey. He overcame obsessive compulsive disorder using these holistic healing modalities. And uh, I'm just so excited to talk to Greg. His website is ghstraining.co. And so it's going to be so much fun. So, Greg, what does mindfulness mean to you? So to me, mindfulness is awareness. And to me, awareness is the prerequisite to change and the prerequisite to growth. And when I think about mindfulness and I think about the importance of mindfulness-based practices such as meditation, I look at these practices as a way of seeking a higher vantage point. And an analogy I like to use is if you think about a beach with an ocean and there's a lifeguard tower, there's all this activity on the shore, there's all this activity in the ocean. And when we practice mindfulness and meditation, we climb up to the lifeguard tower and we seek that higher vantage point. And from this vantage point, we have the ability to witness all the activity to be the observer of all the activity rather than getting caught up in all of it. And to me, that is really the prerequisite to freedom, freedom from the activity in the mind, freedom from the attachment to the body. And that awareness is really the foundation of health in my perspective. Well, Greg, I'm fascinated about your own journey where you overcame obsessive compulsive disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey, where you found yourself and how you sort of pulled yourself out of that difficult place? Sure. So when I was growing up, I was always an athlete. I was playing soccer, ski racing, playing golf, and I got a scholarship to play Division I college golf out in Texas. And during my freshman year, I actually suffered a testicular torsion, which was a pretty painful injury and had to have surgery. And after the surgery, I started having a lot of insomnia 
when I came out of anesthesia, I started having a lot of psychological challenges. And I actually had this experience where I woke up from having terrible nightmares. My mind would start projecting images. My mind would start repeating thoughts. So I would start having obsessive compulsive thoughts. And I would start developing the need to check doors and make sure there was no one behind me walking in. And all these different obsessive compulsive behaviors as well that went along with the thought patterns. And this lasted for probably five or six years. And meditation was probably the number one tool that allowed me to work my way through it. And what I realized in terms of obsessive compulsive disorder, working with myself and with many clients now is a lot of these challenges originate with a trauma in which we experience a level of vulnerability that runs so deep that our sense of safety and security is threatened. And do you think that's happening with a lot of people right now as we are experiencing this pandemic? I, I think that that type of trauma and that type of behavior can be mirrored in almost these very subtle ways that it might not be this massive event that triggers a obsessive compulsive pattern, but a lot of these issues kind of fly under the radar and are happening day in and day out. And what happens is our brain and our nervous system set up these conditions, these boundaries, these rituals as a means of making sure that we never re-experience that level of vulnerability. So that might be obsessive compulsive thought patterns, obsessive compulsive behaviors, and a lot of that is a means of avoiding the feelings and the emotions that we had once experienced. And in terms of mindfulness, what I've really found is thinking and feeling are very much complementary opposites and antagonists. If you think about feeling as the language of the body and thinking as the language of the mind, a lot of times we use thinking to avoid feeling. So if there's aspects of ourselves and our experience that we don't want to feel, we're going to almost live from the neck up and stay obsessed in these and stay caught up in these obsessive compulsive thought patterns as a way of avoiding the authentic experience of feeling. And I think that happens day in and day out, whether we realize it or not. And we have so many ways of distracting ourselves nowadays. We have the ability to numb ourselves out with technology and cell phones and um, food and drugs and alcohol and Netflix. Like there's so many ways that we can numb out parts of ourselves that we don't want to experience. So I would say definitely on a subtle level, we're all experiencing this nowadays. And I think with the pandemic of the coronavirus, I think a lot of that is just magnified. I think this experience is magnifying a lot of the fear and anxiety that was always lying underneath the surface. And this is very much a trigger that is bringing it a lot up into our own awareness. And what do you think about uh, people who are not able to accept that it's real, 
there are people, there are a lot of people that seem to think it's fake or it's made up or, you know, it's, it's just something the government is putting down on us and we just should, we should just stand up for ourselves and, and so on. Can you speak to that? So I think there's two sides to that coin. I think there's nothing wrong with trying to seek out truth. Um, I think there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think that this is an experience that's allowing us to reclaim our power. And when I say reclaim our power, I mean, come to the realization that our health is our responsibility. Our health is our number one currency. And from my observation, this experience is going to create a shift in value structure. And I think it, what's important is that we're returning back to our roots. We're returning back to um, really the, the aspects of our life that are really important, like connection, connection to family, connection to home. Um, as I said, looking at our bank account as less of a source of currency and more our health as a source of currency. And then also tying it into the mindfulness piece, circling back to mindfulness being awareness. Awareness is the greatest sense of power that we have. That's where we really reclaim our power is in the awareness. And that's where I think right now doubling down on the mindfulness practices is essential. And this is just an opportunity for us to sharpen our tools. It's very easy to be mindful and meditative when everything's going great, yes. but it's kind of like the Navy SEAL that does its training, but then is unwilling to go into battle and go on their mission. So right now, all the people that are listeners of yours that engage in mindfulness practices and have a meditation practice every day, now's when it matters most. So it's, it's, it's a time to double down on that practice and realize that all the stress, all the fear is just an opportunity for us to sharpen the tools in our toolbox. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Greg. I absolutely agree. There's no other time that could be better than really making sure that you're you know, on point with your mindfulness practice. You've already talked about meditation. What are some other tools that you recommend that can help people with their mindfulness? Well, to me, mindfulness doesn't necessarily have to be a formal practice. I think mindfulness is a state of being that we carry with us day to day, minute to minute. And really, it's about being present with where you are, what you're doing, and the current experience that you're having. In terms of formal practices that I use with myself and my clients, aside from just a seated meditation, I love walking meditation. I love various forms of breath work. I love active meditation, such as Qigong and Tai Chi and what I call working in, which I'm sure we'll get into. And also for me, spending time out in nature and having a sense of open focus where you're simply open and receptive to the surroundings around you. You're not narrowly objectively focused on one specific thing, but you're more, you're more open to receiving. And one of my favorite practices is 
from this book called Open Focus Brain, where you use spatial awareness to cultivate a sense of mindfulness. And it's almost as if someone who's not mindful has this very narrow objective focus. They're almost like a like a spear fisherman where they, they throw their spear in one direction and exclude all other possibilities where someone who's mindful, who's an open focus is almost like a fisherman that just drops a net in the water and allows all to flow in, all to flow out and is simply open and receptive. So any practice that allows you to be more of a net than that spear fisherman is really powerful. And just spending time out in nature in that open focus is one of the most powerful tools you can have. And there's others such as, for me, actually cold showers and getting in my sauna. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. about cold showers or ice immersion. Yeah. Are you familiar with Wim Hof and what yeah. he teaches? Yeah. So all that breath work and exposing yourself to the extremes, that really shocks you into presence. Yes. You know, when I'm really in a does. cold shower, I'm not thinking about all the issues of the world. I'm just breathing. I'm just breathing through it. So a lot of the, uh, almost the hormetic stressors that build stress resilience are also great mindfulness tools as well. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, so many of us work out and it's great that we have this exercise program, but right now uh, some of us need to work in and you talked about that in uh, one of your videos that I watched. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, so if you think about working out or exercise as spending energy, working in would be the complementary opposite of using forms of breathing and movement to cultivate energy. So working out would be going to the gym, lifting weights, going for a run. Working in would be exercises such as Tai Chi and Qigong, breathing, walking meditations. And working out triggers that sympathetic fight or flight response where working in stimulates that parasympathetic rest and digest response. So if you think of working out as spending energy, that's kind of like constantly withdrawing from the ATM where working in would be making a deposit back into the ATM. So if you think about energy as the currency of the body, if we're working out more than we're working in, we create an energy deficit. And when we create an energy deficit, we don't allow the body to support the immune system, the digestive system, the cardiovascular system. Because if we're constantly triggering that fight or flight response, your body essentially thinks that's constantly running from that proverbial lion that we would be running from out in nature when we were really hunters and gatherers and our nervous system is still woven for survival. So when we're working out your body and your nervous system actually thinks it's still running for its life. So what happens is the system goes, well, I don't have time to digest my food and fight this virus. I'm too busy running from the lion. So we really have to shift out of that fight or flight response, shift out of that spending energy working out state and really return back and balance ourselves out with more working in, more Tai Chi and Qigong, anything that supports that parasympathetic rest and digest system and puts a deposit back into the ATM. When you take on new clients, Greg, how many of those new clients already have a grip 
on that that you just explained working out and work, working in, or is it new to most of your clients? It's new to most clients because what I find, especially in our culture and even in the health community, is we have this idea that just because something is good for us, that more is always better. Yes. And that's simply not true. The medicine is really in the dosage. So what once is a sense of medicine and supports us eventually when you reach a dosage that's too high becomes counterproductive and becomes threatening to the body and working out, I would put in that category. So most people these days are not in an energy surplus. I would say most people these days are in an energy crisis. And a lot of times we create this false sense of energy through the consumption of stimulants, sugar, caffeine, nicotine, whatever it is. But that's kind of like taking a loan out in the bank without realizing that you're gonna have to pay it back with interest. And unfortunately, we, we don't realize that it's important that we have to balance these forces out. It's kind of the yin and the yang. And if we're excessively yang, we're excessively fiery, we burn ourselves out. So it's kind of like balancing the seasons where as much summer as we have, we have to have an equal amount of winters. And if you stay in summer too long, you're going to have to pay those back with a few extra winters at some point. So the summer is really the doing and the working and the exercising and the winter is the recovery, the rest and the yin phase. So those two have to be balanced out in order for us to remain healthy. Yeah, so fascinating to hear you explain this. I want to ask you if you can tell us a story about one of your clients that you've worked with who has made major breakthroughs and really, uh, really come a long way with the work you've done to help them. Sure. So, I mean, I've had, I've had many clients that have come to me with very similar challenges in the sense that they start with some sort of traumatic event that triggers a mental health challenge. And once they have a mental health challenge, the body and the mind mirror each other. So they start having physical health challenges. And this might show up as digestive issues. It very commonly shows up as digestive issues because of the brain to gut connection. And the client will come to me with a physical health challenge, which is something they would want to resolve. And then once we go deeper into the root cause of it, because I always try and address things holistically, we come to the realization that the root cause is not actually physical. The root cause is really a mental health challenge that's rooted in some sort of emotional trauma. So once we dive into this work and get to the root of the challenge, and I really provide the client with tools such as meditation and breath work and sleep and nutrition, everything we're talking about, what they come to realize is that the body was simply their biofeedback mechanism. And the body was simply mirroring back to them their beliefs, their thoughts, their choices, and their behaviors. And some of the greatest experiences I've had with clients is when they realize that these challenges don't become something to get rid of. These challenges become something to learn and grow from. And once they essentially 
learn the lesson that their body was teaching them, then the symptoms go away. And my biggest priority with my clients is to teach them how to be their own best healer. I'm not here to fix them. I'm here to give them the tools for them to heal themselves. And that to me is where my work becomes very fulfilling is when the student becomes the master. And I'm not here to give out fixes. I'm here for them to become the master. And I'm just, I'm just along for the journey with them, providing them the tools and um, being a trail guide for them on their, on their journey. I really love that, Greg. It sounds like exactly the way it should be, the way it should have been all along. And we just kind of went off the path a bit, I think. Uh, I want to ask you about sleep because I know a lot of my listeners are having some challenges with sleep these days because, of course, there's a lot going on. We can't quite believe what's happening going, with, you know, in the world today. Have you got some suggestions about how we can improve our sleep, our quality of sleep and how we can fall asleep more easily? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, sleep is the number one medicine that we have. Sleep is when our body does most of its healing work. It's when the mind sort of, it's like a computer that kind of defragments itself. And um, to me, the, the priorities in terms of optimizing sleep quality would be number one is light, making sure that we're getting adequate sunlight during the day to provide us with certain levels of serotonin, which is the precursor to melatonin. And then when the evening comes around, making sure we're limiting our exposure to artificial light. It's the artificial light from screens, laptops, cell phones, televisions that emit the blue light that trigger the brain into still thinking it's daytime. So that reduces melatonin, increases cortisol and makes it harder to fall asleep. So adequate sunlight during the day, minimizing artificial light at night, that is critical. Number two is temperature, making sure your environment is actually cold, preferably between 64 and 66 degrees would be ideal. I often take a cold shower an hour or two before bed just to lower my core body temperature. So that really aids deep sleep. Then also electricity is important, making sure that we're turning Wi-Fi routers off at night, making sure we don't have cell phones and laptops near our bed that are emitting a lot of non-native EMFs. So these really disrupt the production of melatonin. So making sure that these devices are kept in separate rooms or if it's a cell phone that you use an alarm, turning it on airplane mode. I also sleep with a grounding sheet that simulates being barefoot and connected to the earth. So that's another great way to um, ground yourself while you're sleeping. So tell us more about that. Is the grounding sheet underneath the mattress on your bed? No, no, no. So the grounding sheet is on top of my bottom sheet. So my, um, so my body is fully connected to it. And then it has a little cord that you plug into the sheet. And then on the other side, you plug into an outlet that's grounded. And that... Um, is a great way to just simulate our connection to the earth. So you can okay. order a lot of those online. So that are, it's also great ways to pull a lot of that um, electromagnetic pollution out of the body while you're sleeping. Great suggestion. I, I really think that's excellent. Now, do you wear blue blocker glasses in the evening sometimes? I do. Yeah. I do, especially if I'm going to watch something. 
Right. If I ever want to watch a movie in the evening, I'll definitely put on the glasses and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. And uh, I absolutely agree about the cold as well. There's nothing like the cold showers that can help you with mm -hmm. that. So that's very, very valuable. I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have problems sleeping, but I know that a lot of people do. So there are certain things that we can do. What are your comments on 5G? So in terms of 5G, I have my concerns. Um, I mean, there's a lot of research in the field of the non-native EMFs in regards to how these fields affect the calcium channels in the body. So we see an influx of calcium into the cells that causes a lot of inflammation and disrupts the function of the mitochondria. We also see that holding, for example, cell phones up to your ear, we start to see the blood-brain barrier rendering itself permeable, causing a lot of neural inflammation. And then we also see a lot of increase in cortisol levels and systemic inflammation. So in terms of the non-native EMFs and the 5G, I definitely have my concerns. Um, there's some great resources out there. One is a the Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs by Nicholas Pino, which is a great book. And then another one, Dr. Joseph Mercola just released a book called EMF, which goes much deeper into specifically the 5G and how it causes a lot of DNA damage and mitochondrial dysfunction. So I, I definitely have my concerns in that regard. Um, but to me, the really, the really important aspect of all this is making sure that we're getting grounded on the earth. And that's one of the best ways to mitigate the effects of all these non-native EMFs is getting your bare feet on the earth and allowing ourselves that access to the negative ions emitted from the earth. And that can help balance out the effects of these, uh, these non-native EMFs. Yeah, that's fascinating. I want to ask you about the topic of bullying. I've worked in this field for some time. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Maybe when you're a child, maybe as an adult, maybe you found yourself in a bullying situation of some kind, or maybe someone else did. Do you have a story you can share with us, Greg? Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, I was very quiet. I never really spoke. And when I, when I was a child, I was made fun of for being very quiet and never speaking. And at the time, I didn't really know, notice how much it affected me because I was a very good athlete. So my mode of expressing myself was always through my physical body. So at the time, I didn't really think all that much of it. But fast forward to my adult years, and even up to this day, I notice any time that I want to express myself, speak in front of a group teaching webinars or workshops, or even doing podcasts, I notice that wounded child still coming up for me that was made fun of for never speaking. And to me, when I look back on that experience, and experience working with clients that have been bullied is number one, understanding that whoever the bully is, is really ultimately a bully to themselves. Whatever 
whatever conflict they're creating in their external environment is simply mirroring the level of conflict that they're experiencing in their internal environment. So once you understand that, you can almost have this level of empathy and compassion for knowing that whoever's bullying someone else is an equal amount of a bully to themselves. And then I would say number two is the aspects of ourself that we were made fun of as a child is where our uniqueness lies. It's where our gifts often lie. And we weren't recognized for those as children. We were often actually bullied because of them. And once we actually uncover and connect with that inner child, that's often where our brilliance lies. My not speaking, my sense of being quiet, I actually realized that one, I hear a lot. I receive a lot of information. I'm deeply introspective and intuitive. And all of that was really um, one of the greatest gifts that I ever received. And until I really connected with that wounded child who was bullied, I never really allowed myself to reclaim those gifts. So definitely seeing the bully and looking inside of them and really realizing the conflict and the, and the bullying occurring inside of them. And then also understanding that what you're being bullied for, there's actually tremendous beauty and gifts that are lying underneath it. We just have to be willing to go into those wounds because those wounds often hold the potential for a lot of, a lot of healing capacity. Wow, you have so much wisdom, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing it here with our listeners, with our Mindful Tribe listeners. So, yeah, thanks for doing that. That is really wonderful. Would you call yourself an empath, Greg? Yeah, I probably would. I would definitely say that um, I absorb a lot of people's energy and emotion, and at times that can be challenging because you're very sensitive to your external environment. But the beauty of it is it allows you to feel where other people are at. Um, so yeah, I probably would consider myself an empath. Right. Yeah, you certainly come across that way to me. Yeah. That's for sure. Greg, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Um, my mentor, who was along for the journey with me during my healing process, which is Paul Check. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Greg? Mindfulness has allowed me to become more aware of my emotions and has allowed me to experience my emotions with less judgment. We've talked a bit about breathing, but can you tell us a little bit more about how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice? Sure. Well, uh, to me, breathing is our anchor to the present moment. You can't breathe in the past or the future. So anytime we connect with our breath, we connect with the present moment. And breathing also bridges the mind and the body. So when we connect with our breath, we create harmony between the mind and the body. You already mentioned a couple of books, but are there any other books that you would recommend on this topic of mindfulness? Any books that I would recommend? Anything by Alan Watts um, is fantastic. 
Um, I love Osho's teachings. I love uh, Titnat Han's teachings. Um, but I would definitely say Alan Watts is probably my favorite author in terms of mindfulness. He's had a huge impact on my on me and my life. We'll put that into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Can you share an app which can help with mindfulness? Um, I personally don't use any mindfulness apps, but the ones I've heard of that are great is, I believe Calm is one of them. Um, I believe, is it Sam Harris has a great app with a wide variety of meditations. Yeah. So um, there's definitely quite a few apps out there. I just personally don't use them in terms of my own practice. Well, I know your website is ghstraining.co. And I know you're on Instagram, ghs underscore training there on Instagram. Is there any place else, Greg, where you would suggest our listeners go to find you? So those are the those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Um, if they go to my website at ghstraining.co, there's a way to contact me directly. And the only other platform that I'm on is that Instagram. Right. Okay. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Greg, and I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared and it's been just great getting to know you. So do you have any last minute thoughts for any of our listeners out there who may be facing some challenges right now during this pandemic? Yeah. So I would say number one is whatever challenge you're experiencing, don't resist it. There's an old saying, what you resist persists. And the, the most important thing to do when we are confronted with these challenges is to go right into it and realize that all the challenges that we experience in our lives are really gifts for greater awareness and growth. And from, from my own journey, the reason I'm able to share a lot of my wisdom and share with you today is because of my challenges and my struggles and engaging them fully. So if we're constantly avoiding the struggle and avoiding the challenge, it's kind of like constantly swimming against the tide where eventually you're just gonna drown. So to me, engaging them fully and all these meditation practices and mindfulness tools will allow you to learn how to surf the waves rather than swim against the tide and climb up to that lifeguard tower and really see how the landscape is all woven together and these challenges are really gifts. And I feel like we're all learning a lot during this time, even though it may seem challenging. But thank you again, Greg, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity and for everything that you're sharing with the world. So I appreciate you as well. You're welcome. Bye now. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. Check out our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com and you can find the guest you're looking for right there by typing their name into the search bar. I also encourage you to subscribe, download, and share our show. And we'd love it too if you wrote a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also download a bonus. I've put together an ebook, and this ebook is outlining the 12 must-read mindfulness books mentioned on the show. For the free download, go to mindfulnessmode.com.
facebook.com slash top 12 books. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>